Good morning, church. What an honor to be with you. I know that for some of you it's like, oh, come on, Marty's only got a few weeks left and he gave the pulpit away to this guy that's got a scratchy voice. Uh, well, bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, thank you. Um, you know that one of the great things that our international workers, our missionaries do when they go into a country that doesn't yet have access to the gospel is translate this holy book, the precious word of God, into yet another language. Well, you may have heard the story that some years ago that had taken place and a missionary was handing out New Testaments on the street, just giving them away for free, trying to scatter the seed. And he came across a rather, shall we say, hardened individual and gruff looking kind of guy who was tearing out a piece of paper putting in some tobacco and making his own handmade cigarettes and the missionary came by and offered him a new testament and the man said sir i got no idea what that book is you're trying to give me but you need to know if you give me one i'm just going to tear out the pages roll them up and use them for my cigarettes well what would you do <laughs> would you give the guy a bible or not the missionary, I think, had a word from the Lord at that moment, and he said, I'm going to give you a Bible, but promise me that you're going to read every page before you smoke it. The guy said, deal. The missionary didn't see that man for 15 years, but he went to a church conference, and a, a speaker was introduced to come and give his testimony, and so this man addressed the crowd and said, yeah, I was sitting on the curb one day making my own cigarettes, and this guy that I didn't know came along and offered me a book that I'd never heard of, and he made me make a deal that I'd read every page before I smoked it. Well, I kept my part of the deal. I read every page, but I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16... I just couldn't smoke it anymore. And many of you know what he read that day. Would you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And once again, the gospel, the message of Jesus, the message of eternal life was entering into another human soul and being transformed by it. And we get to be part of that both here in, in Jersey and all the way across the globe to, from the neighborhoods to the nations and from the nations that have come to our neighborhoods. We get to be carriers of the gospel of Christ, which when you get right down to it, for God so loved it's all about love. So you are in this series where you had uh, messages on faith and messages on hope, and now we get to the love section of this series, and I need to just call it for what it is. For some of us, this is the big duh. <laughs> like, well, it's church, love, Jesus, obviously. Like, haven't we talked about that before? <laughs> it's not... <laughs> necessarily some subject that you lean in and say, I really want to learn more about that. In fact, when I first became president of the Christmas Alliance, what are leaders supposed to do? They're supposed to stand up and cast vision before the people. And so it was two years before our first conference when I was elected before I could stand before our entire denomination and say, team, this is where we're going. And so when I was praying about it, praying about it, praying about it, when I finally felt like I had heard from the Lord and, and that I was being given a few words, and the very first word that I felt the Lord was giving me to say to the Christian Missionary Alliance as a denomination was, we will love. And I groaned 
when I wrote that down. I really feel like the Lord was speaking to me, but it's like, really, God? After two years of being president, I'm going to stand before the people and say, you know what we're going to do? You know what we're going to do, team? We're going to love. It's like, <laughs> yeah, again, duh. But I had a young leader come up to me after that and said, Mr. President, if you hadn't started with that word, I wouldn't have listened to any other words on your list. I'm so tired of churches having a lot to say, but not living lives of love among themselves and in their communities. That unless we have genuine love of God in us, we really don't understand the gospel. And unless that love is flowing through us, we're really not representing him well, right? Because what did he say? They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So, we're, we get to talk about it. Uh, we get to talk about this whole theme of love today. And to do so, I'm going to anchor my thoughts in the, epistle, the, the, the letters, the letter of First John. Now, we already quoted John 3.16, same guy that wrote John, uh, the gospel, the history, writes three letters, and he also writes the book of Revelation. So he's the most um, diverse author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we have in the Bible. But would you just uh, tell me something else about John? Just from your memory of the Scripture, just so we can uh, get a little interaction here. So let me start kind of over in, in this section of the auditorium and just shout out something. What do we know about John? The only disciple that wasn't crucified. That's an interesting little historical tidbit that he actually lived to be the oldest of all the disciples uh, and outlived all the other guys. John, what do you know? claims to be the one that Jesus loved. I'm going to come back to that in, in a few minutes. That's kind of his identifier. As he writes the Gospel of John, he never says John wrote this book. He has this subtle little phrase that he uses, the disciple Jesus loved. I'll come back to that. Let's come over here. What else? What do you know about John? You're not used to this. Okay. <laughs> what, 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 what do you know about, uh, the, about John? Trusted with, oh, okay, Jesus is dying on the cross, and he looks down, and there's his mom at the cross grieving, and there's the apostle John and says to her, mother, your son, wow, wow, the trust that Jesus had in the apostle in that moment. Somebody in the back was saying something. He beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> yes, John uh, outran Peter. I like that. Way to go. Way to go. Fantastic. One more? Anybody else? He, was, he had a brother, and the, their dad was named Zebedee, and they became the sons of thunder. If you've not watched the series The Chosen, it pulls us out in a very interesting way. And so, yeah, he had a brother, James, so... All right, there's much more we could say about the apostle. Uh, but let's jump into, if you would grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John, one of the letters toward the end of the New Testament, after we get Hebrews, First and Second Peter, get to John. And what I want to point out is, is 
just a quick, what I want to do is to give you a quick overview of this theme of love in 1 John, and then I want to give three application points for us. So that's where we're heading this morning. In, in English writing and logic, often what we do is we have an introduction and we have points and we have a conclusion, right? It kind of topples like a domino and you can kind of know where a speaker is going, you know, he, as I just did, open with a story and then you have some points and then hopefully he wraps it up before noon. And, and so it, it's kind of this linear progression. When you, if you read like the epistles, the letters that are in the New Testament, and if you read it that way, you're going to get frustrated because Middle Eastern thought didn't really think in those terms. And so I would suggest that if you are going to study the first of the book of First John, that you think in terms of strands making up a rope. And that the one emerges and then kind of disappears while another emerges and disappears and another emerges. And then gets, when you read carefully, you see, oh, there's that theme again and it disappears. There's that theme again and it disappears. But it's getting this logic, this mindset is being woven together in a brilliant way. John's a brilliant author. Don't have time to get into all that. But three of those strands that if you were to look closely at the book of 1 John, one of them is life. In him was life. That, that, look at verse 2. <coughs> End of verse 1. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We are eyewitnesses of this. Life is a theme. Look at verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and declared to you God is Light. And in him is no darkness at all. And so we have this theme of life. We have this theme of light, that God is light. And then he begins to weave in this theme of love. Second chapter, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. We start to get this, this weaving of life and light and love. There's other chords that get interwoven don't have time to talk about that but when you come over to chapter 2 verse 15 we find out that while we're talking about love warning 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 danger that theme is going to get messed up in this world there's going to be a lot of talk about love and it's going to be centralized and it's going to be material uh, turned into materialism so just be warned be warned do not love the world or anything in the world love is in your heart but don't let your affection go to these places it's just not worth it and the love is too beautiful a thing for you to waste it on stuff of the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. That's not the Father's love that is greedy for what we can see or what we can buy or what we can own. It's okay to buy and own stuff, but how much of your affection is for that? That's the question. So a warning about how we use our love. And then we get to chapter 3. <laughs> if you've not yet memorized chapter 3, verse 1, do yourself a really big favor and work on that this week. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Oh, I love that word, this, this extravagant, exorbitant kind of love of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we, we, you and me, should be called the children of God. Quick question, would you adopt you? <laughs> Knowing who you are, or who, especially who you were before you came to Christ, would you want you in the family? <laughs> 
God did. God said, I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. I'm going to send my son that you can be in my family forever. I'm making a home for you for all eternity. I don't want you in some other place. I want you with me. I get tired of company after three days. I'm serious. It's like, don't you have your own home to live in? You know, but, but, but God invites us into his forever home for all eternity. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is it did not know him. <laughs> okay, I get it. This is good. This is just good stuff. So, so then you get into chapter 3, verse 16. You know John 3:16. What about 1 John 3:16? Hear this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John is writing this years later, and he's saying, after Jesus died, and he's saying, this is like the ultimate expression of love that could have ever been communicated, that the divine Christ, the loving Jesus, the sinless Jesus, would lay down his life for us. And you know what? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God. You didn't start this, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. There, you can memorize that much right now, this morning, right? You got a portion of a verse memorized. God is love. L love has a source. Love isn't just kind of this ooh, uh, ethereal, you know, weird thing out there somewhere that you, you hope you have some of in your heart. No, no, no. Just like Marty and I and, and Lori uh, know Minnesota quite well, and the Mississippi has a headwaters. There is a source for that great river of the Mississippi. You can go and see it and stand by. God, uh, love, love has a source, and God claims to be the source. Any real love, any true love in this world, it's going to be counterfeited. It's, it's going to be mocked and mimicked, but any true love comes from God himself. God is a source. And then I'll just wrap it up with this before I go to my application points. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We could continue to look at those themes, but what I want to do in the minutes that I have is then take us to some application points. And the first is this. The love of God is personal. God is big enough to love the entire planet as a whole, but intimate and tender and close enough to love you personally as an individual. Have you felt and been shaped by, as your identity formed by, the love of God for you? For a lot of us, we live the Christian life. Let's just admit it, okay? A lot of us live the Christian life with this reflector on our forehead. And we hear a word like this, and bing, we know that's true for Marty and Lori. God loves them. That's obvious. God loves preachers. But me, I don't know. You know, my dad really didn't want me in the house, and 
I have voices from my coaches that tell me I'd never heard somebody in my past who would tell me I'd never amount to anything. And we believe those voices more than we believe the voice of the Spirit of God. And we live our life deflecting all these beautiful truths of somebody else and trying to write ourselves out of the divine storyline that God is writing you into. Why would we do that? Well, we find comfort in our shame or we, you know, find identity in our, in our brokenness or whatever. But the Spirit of God wants to lift your chin and lift your heart and lift your soul to better and bigger places to, enter, to bring you into that source, the source of the flow of the love of God that he has for you. If there's anybody who should not feel the love of God, it's my sister Darlene. I have four older sisters, and one of them spent her young life married to a man who was um, an adulterer, a womanizer, uh, running off with other women, and to make matters worse, he was a pastor as well, and he did this in multiple cities, and and, uh, she forgave him a few times, but trying to work out this marriage, and, and believing that, but one day when we were at a family event, he called and said, when you get home, I won't be here. And now he was at least going public with his behavior and, and was uh, no longer hiding and pretending about it. And so she had, to, she be, in a moment, became a single mom with zero support from, from this guy. No, no vehicle. Uh, she, he took the good car and off uh, her life went. And if anybody would have the reason to feel like God doesn't love me and I've been abandoned and all that. It would be my sister, but she's come to have this relationship with God that is very close and personal. She lives in northern Minnesota. I don't think you can be more remote and still live in the United States than sections of northern Minnesota. She's got a cabin, and uh, she supports herself largely by eBay. Now, if you want an eBay business, you're going to need really three things. One, you're going to need a product. Two, you're going to need a computer. (laughs) And three, you're going to need boxes. Now, the product, my sister's got a great eye for seeing something that she got rid of. She just told me last night when I called her, and uh, and she said, yeah, well, I, I went to a garage sale. And the guy was selling this stuff for 10 cents. I'm going to get 22 bucks out of this thing, you know. He tried to give it to me for free. She said, no, no, I'll give you the 10 cents. <laughs> She's got an eye for things. And so 10, 20, 40 bucks she does over and over again and does okay, supports herself. But the boxes are hard to come by in northern Minnesota because 45 minutes for her round trip to get a half gallon of milk, and the market may not even have milk when she gets there. And so, boxes. She's recently discovered the world of Amazon, that she can buy things and have them shipped to her, and she doesn't have to drive, you know, long distance to get to any decent-sized store. But she also found out that if you pay $50 or more, this is not an advertisement for Amazon. They don't need advertisements. <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, that she could get the shipping for free. And the stuff that she needed only came to $49. And so she thought, well, I don't really need fingernail polish remover, but it's only $1.95, and that'll tip me over, and I'll need it someday. So to get the free shipping, she brought this fingernail polish remover, and got a notification a couple of days later from Amazon saying, we apologize that your order has been, was split into two orders. Some of the stuff is not available, but uh, so in that night, 
in Amazon's great business scheme, uh, they send a driver all the way to her house with the $1.95 box of fingernail polish remover, and she just kind of laughed about it and didn't think much about it until the next morning. Because overnight, she got an order on eBay that required her to have a box just that size. She wouldn't have had access to that kind of box anywhere else in her home. Who knows where she would have got it. But God sent an Amazon driver to her door to deliver the box that she would need the next day. My sister has lots of stories like that, and she's come to call it the customized love of God. The customized love of God. Who knows exactly who you are and what you need. He's sweet like that if we are in relationship with him. Are there times that, that you wish God would do something that he doesn't do? Well, certainly, certainly. Our Father is kind enough to work through closed doors, not just through open ones. He's good in his no's, not just in his yeses. But if we begin to receive the love that he has for us, we begin to have eyes to see his customized love all over the place. Let me say it differently. Gary Smalley, the author, has five languages for love, okay? And they're good, and it's a nice marriage principle, and if you haven't studied that, you might want to study that, five love languages. But how many do you think God can speak? <laughs> how many ways do you think that the Almighty God can express his love. When I was in a very difficult time physically, having lost the ability to, to eat or drink, living on a feeding tube, in a wheelchair, under the care of my wife, who had to take care of me in every room of the house. For a while, I couldn't find God. I couldn't hear his love. But what I was finding out slowly in the meantime was God has more ways of expressing love than I had the ability to hear that I needed to begin to understand his love in different forms. All I'm saying to you, friend, is your father knows you very intimately and can customize his love for your story. The love of God is personal. Second, the love of God is perpetual. Now, this is an important point. Don't pass by it too quick. Well, what do I mean by this? I mean that you don't have to crank love for somebody else out of your weary soul. I spent too much of my Christian life trying to generate love, trying to be nice, trying to become patient, trying to do good, and it just produces a weary, try-harder kind of Christianity. And if you read closely the message of the New Testament, you find the story is much more beautiful than that. It's not just a God comes to save our sins and then tell us, now you work really hard to follow me and obey me because you're going to be responsible for it someday. Yes, we will give an account of ourselves before God. But the beautiful story is he wants to give you everything you need for life and godliness. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 that you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. So I don't have enough love to, uh, to stay married for 38 years. I'm, I'm, that's, that's not how I'm wired, who I am, but the love of God, 
I don't have enough love for lots of situations, but the love of God is available to us. I was at a Dairy Queen one night after speaking, just getting myself a little refreshment, and I felt like God said to me to do something specific for this Dairy Queen staff, and I didn't do it. I just didn't want to. And <laughs> I drove away, not really able to enjoy my ice cream because I felt that you missed an opportunity. I was whispering to you. You said no. And in my irritation, finally I said, God, you love absolutely everybody, don't you? <laughs> yes. See, I didn't need to love those people. I just needed to let God love them through me. The, the source is already there. Do you remember that old chorus? Maybe some of you grew up in church when I did that we sang, I got peace like a river. I've got, oh, I hated that song. You, you, anybody know the song? No, I hated it for two reasons. One, the, the tune was just so jingly, you know, just a little too happy, sticky, sweet. Felt like we were pouring honey over everything. And the second, I thought we were lying the whole time we sang the song. I got peace like a river. Have you looked inside this heart lately? I'm all torn up about all kinds of stuff. I got, oh, to make matters worse, it had three verses, okay? And we always had to sing them all. I got joy like a fountain. Did you see the car ride into the church today? That didn't look like much, didn't look like a joy fountain to me. And, and then we climax it all with the big verse, and I got love like an ocean. What a, oh, come on. <laughs> love like a puddle, maybe. But then I understood better in time through the years the real message of what God gives to us. And suddenly the song wasn't an exaggeration. It was an understatement. Peace like a river. Because Jesus says in John 14, my peace I leave with you. My joy I give to you. My love can be your love. Really? I don't have to crank out my own, but I can just tap into yours, the flow from heaven that comes through the spirit-filled human soul can be my experience, yes, and suddenly the song wasn't big enough. And we really can have a flow, a river of peace through us, a fountain of joy coming through us, an ocean of love that we live in. The the love of God is perpetual because you don't have to generate it yourself. And lastly, the love of God. You know it's got to start with a P now, right? Had two P's, got to end with another P. That's what preachers do, whatever. The love of God is propelling. What do I mean by that? that when we truly have experienced God's love for us, it propels us, it, it, it sends us to places we never would have otherwise gone, to say things we never would have otherwise said, to give what we would have otherwise just kept for ourselves. And we become these larger, more beautiful people because the ugliest people on the planet are those whose whole lives just sit around their own desires, their own wants, their own wishes, their own story, their own complaints, their own. That is a sick life, that the circle of life is no bigger than my own wishes. And beautiful lives are those who have hearts that are large enough for the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I don't think I stretch the text 
that said by saying and how beautiful are the knees that pray for needs beyond themselves and how beautiful are the eyes of those who can see around them and not just their own problems and how beautiful are the hearts that engage with others and how beautiful are the hands of those who participate you get the idea and that when the love of God enters into us it propels us it takes us to people we would not otherwise engage with it sustains us in relationships we would otherwise walk away from. It propels us to take this message to the neighbor across the, the rose hedge that she had. It propels us. <coughs> you know, The Berglunds have been greatly used by God in this place. It's right for you to celebrate them in these weeks. But if your word at this moment is pastor, oh, we're losing our pastor and we're going to get a new pastor and it's pastor, 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 God used pastor, and I hope the new pastor is, if your word is pastor, you're in trouble. Church, Fellowship Alliance, you're in trouble. If your word is love, you're going to be fine. Loving the Berglunds, loving the new person that comes, loving each other, letting the love of Christ flow through you. The love of Christ propels us. So one thing you need to know about the Berglunds leaving is the vision doesn't go with them. Yes, a new leader comes in with some new nuance or some new expression or some new personality. That's good. But the vision that this church has had to be faithful carriers of this word, to celebrate and honor the word of God, and then to take that to those around us and all the way to the farthest reaches of the world, and as you support international missions and as you support local causes, that kind of vision will not change because you're part of this metro district and the broader Christian Missionary Alliance, and this is just who we are. This is our DNA. You're not an alliance church if you're not loving the world and holding the gospel with great sincerity. This, uh, this is just who we are, and this is who we will continue to be, that the vision preceded the Berglunds, the vision will follow the Berglunds, and I just celebrate that that there is going to be an onward work of God in this church and the staff asking me to join the love series asked would you please remind the congregation that the vision is not going to stop just because the pastor left this is who our church is and we're going to continue in this and so I rejoice in the fact that even during COVID uh, as we have 700 international workers all over the world that shifted on a dime they pivoted immediately some of their work and then became very active in food distribution, became very active in, in, in various forms of evangelism that they couldn't have done before. It's opened opportunities for the gospel we've never had because, you see, we're very strategic in how we send our missionaries. We, we don't just keep going back to the place that already has a church established and already has the, the, the gospel strong among them. We reposition our teams from those places where we've helped establish the gospel, countries that are now sending their own missionaries. Now we, now we reposition our teams to the places that still don't have access. I don't know if you're aware of this church, but there's still 4,000 people groups, 4,000 distinguished, distinguishable languages and cultures that do not have access to the gospel. That means that there's not a church uh, strongly present among them. It may mean that they don't even have a Bible translated in their language yet. And so we keep sending our people to the hardest 
places the most difficult one not long ago in one of those places that i can't publicly name because the political sensitivity of it but one of our workers was having a clandestine bible study muslim women fully covered came to her house secretly to gather around a single copy of the bible on our kitchen table and as they're having this bible study one of the women interrupted and said i don't want to embarrass you but I think you just made a language mistake, which is very possible. Learning a new language, sometimes you slip a word, and the woman was trying to not embarrass, but she said, I think you just made a mistake because you just told us that we could be forgiven of everything that we've ever done. That's impossible. There's, there's, there, there's no way that God can do that. And the missionary said, no, I didn't make a language mistake. That's what I intended to say because that's, that's what our... God wants to do for us. The personalized love of God that flows through us perpetually if we tap into it and propels us to take his message that God so loved this world that he gave and continues to give and can give and live through us. So we have work across the globe the work that was done in Vietnam now has over a million believers in that church and the work that in Mongolia where there was only about 30 known Christians in the entire country of Mongolia a few years ago now we have about that many churches as we just had individual Christians some years ago and on the list goes of how the gospel is advancing advancing and that's going to continue because the love of God propels us, just takes us all the way across the oceans and all the way across the street to welcome that new neighbor. And all the way across the hallway to the locker to say a kind word to that student that everybody else ignores. And all the way across the living room to say a word of apology and remend that relationship that's been broken. The love of God propels us. One last story. Had the privilege a few years ago of preaching in the Philippines. Now, this is one country where the Christian Mission Alliance sent missionaries for a long time. But now there is a beautiful church. In fact, the kids have outgrown the parent. The, the Christian Mission Alliance of the Philippines is larger than the Christian Mission Alliance of the United States, one of the five countries that has that distinction. You know, you, you can just your nose with your mask, will you? <laughs> you know that um, the, the, the great work has been done when, when the kid outgrows the parents and, and flourishes in life, not just outgrows in size, but just flourishes in life, so I love that. So I got to speak to the Philippine Alliance, and uh, there was uh, about over 3,000 people gathered for this conference in an auditorium that hold, held about 4,000. And you guys got fabulous screens here. I love these. But they had the old technology of kind of the jumbotron screens like at a sports stadium decades ago, uh, individual panels that were huge that uh, covered a whole wall, but uh, by individual uh, components to that jumbotron screen and they had two of them one on each side of the auditorium and they worked fine all week but and I don't use much PowerPoint as you can tell but they asked me to share my healing story 
which I shared here some years ago, and I use about 18 photos and a video to tell that story, and I really rely heavily upon the screens. Well, I got there that final morning of the conference uh, to give that story, as the president of the Philippine church had asked me to do, and I got there, and the screens are totally black. And the worship leader gets up and does the say a line, sing a line, say a line, sing a line, because there's no words on the screen. And I'm worried. I need these. I say to the tech director, what's going on? He says, no electricity. Like, oh, boy, I don't know what no electricity means, you know, outside of Manila, but this probably isn't good. And so I know that it's going to take more than a couple of AA batteries to light up those bad boys. So, so I prayed with my eyes open and watched little splashes of digital nonsense come on the screen, and then it went black again. I was sitting next to a, a prayer warrior kind of guy, Mr. Spiritual Warfare guy named Don, a man I'd known for years. And I say, Don, I need those screens. And they haven't been working all morning. Pray. And Don does this. He's rebuking demons. He's calling for angels. I don't know what he's doing, but, but I keep my eyes open, and the whole screen lights up with digital nonsense and then goes black again. And I said, well, you got more than I did, buddy. Now it's time for me to preach. And I'm distracted. Black, black, black. Finally, I just stopped and said to the crowd, I'm about to need those screens very badly. Would you pray with me that God will give us those screens? Break into prayer huddles, pray. They did so. Within moments, those screens not only lit up, but worked perfectly the entire rest of the service. Now, why do I tell you that story? That's a fun story to tell. God's customized love for me, bailing me out in the middle of a message. I'm not sure what I would have done in front of 3,000 people. But the story wasn't over yet. About two years later, sometime not long before COVID, I was speaking in a church somewhere, and a lady came running down the center aisle after I finished the message and said, Mr. Stumble, Mr. Stumble, do you remember the time when you spoke in the Philippines? Oh, I loved your country. I loved the food, loved the music. Do you remember the time that, that the screens didn't work? Oh, uh, I remember that very clearly. I was there. Do you remember how you had all of us pray? She was very urgent about all this, and she was retelling me the whole story. And then she said something I didn't know. She said, we're still telling that story in the Philippines. Uh, why? If... God had answered my prayers. I may have had a story to tell, or Don's in my prayers. We may have had a story to tell, but God works through closed doors, not just through open ones. But because God worked in response to everybody's prayers, it became their story. Marty, Lori, long for the story of this church, not to be their story, but to be everybody's story. And the advancement of the gospel in this world rarely happens through one or two people alone. The way that the love of Jesus gets taken to this world is when all of us find our part, when all of us engage. So the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a closing song. But what I want to say to you, church, is it's a really big deal if you begin to experience the love of God for you 
Because as you do and enter into that stream, that flow of love that he perpetually gives to this world, you're going to have greater impact for others. The love of God is going to pour through you in places that you would have never expected and expressions that you couldn't have concocted on your own. And you're going to find yourself more engaged in this bigger story of for God so loved the world that he gave. God's heart is too big to keep it all for himself. Big hearts are able to release. May God enlarge your hearts with his love.